as I mentioned, um, we are doing a, another mini-series, a two-part series, entitled The Way to the Father. And it, it's very important. The title is important, especially on this one. Because when you think about salvation, in, not only in Hollywood movies, but in our kind of good humor, sense of humor. So what, it, what does it look like of getting a, you know, becoming a Christian and, and receiving salvation, that you are saved? And usually the picture is in the sky, there's a cloud, and then some white-winged angels there, and pearly gate. And then St. Peter, of course, have to ask questions why he should let us in. And there's some joke about that. And it, it is a place. Salvation is a typically going to a place, going to heaven. But the problem with the word heaven in uh, New Testament language often refers to the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, which means God himself, the reign of God. So I am determined to do another mini-series on sound theology. Let's think clearly, theologically soundly, who Christ is and what our salvation looks like. And today's passage, the two passages, basically the key passage for, for this series is John 14, verse 6. Very, very famous uh, passage. Jesus said to him, to Thomas, and to, to the rest of the disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Salvation is not going to a person, I'm going to a place, but going to person of God. Going to the Father. What does it come to your mind when you think about your salvation is no longer going to a place, perfect environment, but going to a person. And once again, the self-denial series, we talked about salvation is not change of our environment to the perfect environment. Of course, heaven will be perfect place. No more tears, no more dying there. No more cancer. No more heartache. But even that perfect place without God will not be heaven. So in a way that when we begin to think about our salvation, going to the Father, suddenly our relationship with God is centralized. And then our salvation is from now to until we physically die, until he glorifies our body. And to be with him. 
There's some kind of emotional things perked up, provoked, deep inside, isn't it? So when we do sound theology, when you do theology right, our whole being is affected by that. So when I think about going to the Father, longing, I'll finally see him face to face. I'll understand the things that I'll never understand on the earth. And he will equate just being with me, in front of me, around me, above and beneath me, make all things right. Vindication and perfect justice will happen. And I will see his glory without hiddenness to protect me. I will see his face with full glory. And I will know that I belong to God, belong to my Father, that I am a son who belongs to God and who is well pleased. So I want us to think about this way to the Father this week and next week. And let's make some preliminary observations on John 14, 6. Number one, in this verse, Jesus declares himself not as one who knows the way, but as the way to the Father. All other world religion, the leaders of the religions will say, I, I have come to enlightenment. I know the way. Come, learn from me. That's typical approach, isn't it? But Jesus basically say, I actually am the way. Secondly, Jesus declares himself not as a way to the Father, but as the way. That he is the only way. No one comes to the Father except through me. In our modern society, relativistic society, this is one of the most offensive language. And Jesus can only claim that because he himself claims to be God and the resurrection proves it. But once again, even with well-meaning intention to get along with other people, the fact, the truth that cannot be changed is there is no other way than Jesus to the Father. Thirdly, and this is very interesting, like a, you know, one of those study habits that we need to have is pay attention and to the details and chew on that. So 
I think if I say <clears throat> Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. That sounds more right, right? No one goes to the San Diego Zoo except through south, the way south, right? Goes to San Diego Zoo. What, what do you think it implies when Jesus said no one comes to the Father except through me? Jesus actually came from God. He is where God, the Father, is. And, and referring to others to come to the Father means that he belongs to the Father and he is the Father uh, in, in essence, the God himself. This is a striking claim, especially for the Jewish people in his days. Very, very offensive. And lastly, Jesus declares that he is the way to the Father because he is the life and the truth. The qualification that he is the way, that he is the life and the truth. And this is our series. Today we're going to talk about and meditate on in what way Jesus is the life that leads us to the way to the Father. And the next Sunday, the part two, we will meditate on Jesus as the truth which leads us to the way up to the, to the Father. So in light of the Jesus being the life, uh, Steve just read in the scripture reading, it's from John 6. We're asking the question, how is Jesus the life which leads us to the way to the Father? Number one, uh, before we... Uh, goes through this passage, I think I need to give uh, context. When verse 35, John 6, 35, when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The context is actually feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Remember that 5,000 was men, counting men. So it will be far more than 5,000 people. And it was a miracle. It actually shocked them so much that the poor people who were always hungry, worrying about next meal, thought that this person should be our king, that we will never go hungry. So they were attempting to make him king, and knowing that Jesus withdrew himself to a mountain alone, right after that, there's one sentence in there, to pray. He sent his disciples ahead to Sea of Galilee, Tiberias, same uh, 
lake, but the lake is so big, they call it Sea of Galilee. It's actually a lake. And they were being the fishermen, they were the master at um, taking the ship. And then, as you well know, in the middle of the night, they were encountered, they encountered this scary storm. Even to these fishermen, they were threatened. They feel afraid of their life. And Jesus walked on water, calming them. Do not be afraid, it is I. And then they went to the other side, Capernaum. And the people were looking for Jesus. They saw the disciples went on the boat ahead, but they didn't see Jesus in there. So where could he be now? So they, him, they themselves decided to search for him and got on the boat and went and finally found Jesus in Capernaum. Their kind of clueless question was, Lord, when did you come here? So it's actually, oh, we've been looking for you. And to, to that, Jesus is answering, you are looking for me not because of sign that you saw, but because you had your fill, stomach fill of bread. You know what that means? To Jesus' primary purpose of feeding the 5,000 people was actually giving the sign as a Messiah that he is indirectly saying the promised Messiah from the Old Testament prophecy. And then he didn't do it in vacuum. He did it in a real need, which was the hungry people who followed Jesus was filled. What is he saying? You didn't become, you didn't come because you knew who I am, because you were looking for the true spiritual reasons, you came for the physical reasons. Think about this. The same thing as going to heaven, the place, salvation. What's so wrong about prosperity gospel is the salvation becomes physical thing. Of course, our Heavenly Father cares for us, provide daily bread. It's literally bread, not just you know, spiritual bread only. But looking for Jesus for physical reasons. In other words, in Orange County kind of culture, looking for Jesus for healthy kids and uh, no major sickness in among our parents and our relatives, close loved ones, and then the business and our work will go well. And then we will socioeconomically improve each year. For that, we are looking for Jesus. And Jesus basically saying, you didn't come for the right reason. So when Jesus is saying, I am the way, that's not the way to a perfect environment again. It is actually a way to be restored in our from death to life so that we could be 
heading toward to the, our Heavenly Father, the Creator. So, um, and to that, that they didn't know what to say. Um, and Jesus said, do not work for the food that perishes, but work for the work of God that will last forever. And then to that, what is the work of God? It is to believe in the Son, believe in Him who was sent by the Father, referring to Himself. And they're saying, what, what sign do you give us? Jesus already gave the sign, right? But what sign do you give us? Our Father in the wilderness, they ate manna. That was the main sign. And Moses gave us main sign. And Jesus said, actually, it was not Moses, but God gave from the heaven. But he is actually giving you the living bread that you will not go hungry. We're almost there. 34, verse 34, and they said, Lord, give us this bread. Does that remind you someone? John chapter 4, woman at the well, Samaritan woman. Jesus, when Jesus said, if you drink the water from me, you will never thirst. And they said, Lord, give us, give me this water so that I may not, I don't have to come back here every day at the well. And Jesus was referring to spiritual living water, spiritual life, living, eternal life. She was actually thinking about physical water. And in this sense also too, these people were thinking about physical bread. And Jesus is talking about eternal life. Now, let's read verse 35, and we'll come back to the point number one. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to, said to you, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out, for I have come down from, the, from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The first reason that Jesus is the life in this passage, that Jesus is the bread of life. Whoever comes to Jesus shall not hunger nor 
thirst. What does that mean? Obviously, it, is, it, it refers to the spiritual life, but not the physical life. Let's think about one at a time. Jesus likens, compares eating the bread of life himself to believing in the Son himself sent by the Father. So eating the bread of life and believing in Jesus is the same thing. But the way that he describes believing is not a one-time intellectual decision to I accept I concur, I embrace that idea, I'm okay, I'm positive idea toward that Jesus is the way. Actually, notice that the way he said is, whoever eats this bread, whoever comes to me, the bread of life, and never go thirst, never go hunger, hungry or thirst. So what, what, what that means is that whoever eats the bread will be spiritually satisfied daily. I, I don't know uh, whether you have that ex- experience. Uh, probably the the runners and marathon runners and half marathon runners probably have experienced it. So thirsty is not a mere thirst, but you are just dehydrated to a point that you could faint. But when you get that cold cup of water as you're drinking it, it feels like water, not only water, but life goes into your system, isn't it? But when you are really, truly hungry, the first bite of anything tastes so good. And I still remember the first time when I, as a college student, when I fasted three days, there's a crusade retreat that went. And then at the end of that morning, as we break the fast, and they gave us this potato soup. did Did I mention that to you? You guys remember that? Right before we eat it, my friend and I were teary. <laughs> and I still remember, this is the best potato soup I ever had in my entire life. So think about this. Eternal life is not something out there, and you, like an insurance policy. But every day, Jesus is savory. Jesus is delicious. Not in the way that, you know, physically thinking that we're eating the Jesus flesh. But as we are appropriating Jesus' life by faith, it gives us invigoration. It gives us the life of Jesus flowing through us. That our soul is deeply satisfied. Compare that drinking ocean water, salty water. At that moment of quenching feeling will turn into a thirst here. So it is very important not to drink 
ocean water when we are lost in the middle of the sea, right? The worldly pleasures, the parties, and any materialistic things, even success, is like the salty water. But Jesus' life truly satisfies us. Brothers and sisters, when was the last time you experienced Jesus and there is a deep joy and satisfaction in it? And I'm telling you right now that Jesus is the life who could give us that kind of satisfaction. Of course, if we are looking for immediate quick fixes of our emotions, we will be disappointed. But if we really know the depth of our soul, what I really needed was what Jesus gives me. And this is what's really different from the man-centered perspective versus God-centered perspective. When I was really... uh, after, right after my dad passed away, I, when, I, when I felt depressed, and then it was in the middle of, uh, in between times, my youth ministry was done. I nobly pushed the kids away to pay attention to their new youth pastor. And then the new church plan that I was going to be part, uh, partner with and begin with, we had three, four months waiting time. And I still remember... And back in La Mirada, when we lived there, I was single, and I would go out to the park, it's a baseball park, and sat there in the middle of the night. Was I was practicing solitude and silent state? No. I was just in pain. I was just out there asking God, okay, God, I'm not asking much. Just Take this awful, awful feeling away from me. I just can't stand it. I don't want to go home and watch television to numb myself as if everything's okay. As soon as I turn off the TV and come back to myself, there is an awful feeling of sadness and depression and loneliness I would sit there. I would sit there for two, three hours. No immediate quick feeling. Now I understand looking back, my heavenly father was with me. That he was, Jesus was heartache with me. But he would not give me sugar coating candy bar just to soothe me, just to meet my humanistic, human-centered needs. And I could honestly say, because of the pain and the suffering, that I am what I am today. I could understand your pain so much better, even if it's a different kind of pain. I could understand the pain of Jesus, what suffering of Jesus that he went through for me. But man-centered way of salvation is so impatient. 
You need to have it right now. And we will be disillusioned and disappointed because God is not hearing our prayers. In this, Jesus' is life as a God-centered way and coming in. And what, what, what Jesus is proving to us in the long run as he went through the suffering in the long run and big picture that he actually knows the best for each one of us, wills the best for each one of us, make all things, including awful things, what I've experienced, nothing to some of you, right, who went through cancer, who went through people who... Love, your loved ones going through pain. He will take all those things for good to those who love him. That's what it means to sovereign. Jesus said, whoever believes in him shall have true eternal life and Jesus said he will raise him up. Anyone who believes him, all those who believe in him on the last day. When, when is the last day? Final judgment day. The resurrection of Jesus will be our resurrection. This is an invitation to the way of, to the Father. Not to a place, not to a thing, but to God who is all good. Our Father and Abba, the Son, connects us to the Father, provides the way to the Father. Not just in the New Testament, the Old Testament as well. In Isaiah 55, verse 1 to 2, Isaiah prophesies this way. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for, what, for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. This is actually Jesus' invitation. The Messiah's invitation. John chapter 11, verse 25 to 26, Jesus said to Martha, this is when Lazarus, her brother, Mary and her, Martha's brother died. And, and Mary was just frantic. I meant, Martha was frantic about Jesus being late. You could have saved her if you come a little earlier. 
And verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection, the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Jesus is the way because he provides this life of resurrection. This life of satisfaction. Number two. Eternal life is in Jesus. To all those who believe in him as the living bread that came down from heaven. Heaven meaning that place, the Father. Verse 30, 41. So the Jews grumbled about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to, the, come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So what's going on right now is a continually missing Jesus is speaking on a spiritual term and then they're continually looking for physical things. So what's again? The whole salvation is Jesus... Jesus, he will raise us up. In other words, a physical salvation will be included. But in eternally, essence of this, what our salvation is about, is a quickening of the spirit. The deadness of our spirit is al become alive. And then he will continually give us that life-giving force in our system, in daily. And he basically, he's saying, I am the bread of life. There are two manas here, isn't it? The manna during wilderness, Exodus, after Exodus, the bread of heaven fell down from sky, except on the Sabbath day. So for six days, they were able to collect every each day. And that was the miracle enough, Right? But Jesus is comparing, once again, 
This time contrasting the bread that he gives against the bread that they, the Israelites, their fathers ate in the wilderness. Eventually they all died. And Jesus is saying, the bread that I'm giving you will keep you alive forever. Will give you eternal life. Why is that? Because think about, think about this. The connection that Jesus is talking about and continually regurgitating is his relationship with the Father. Who is the creator of entire universe? Who is the source and origin of life? God himself. Jesus came from the Father. And because of that, as the one who comes from Father, gives that life to anyone who comes to him. Do you sense another aspect of his language so strong and some things that I just mentioned? Sovereignty of God. So many people will have trouble. We don't have time to go through that today, but I'll just mention this way. Eventually, there is a decisive point. How does one become saved? How does one come to know God and Christ himself? Because God the Father draws him. The initiation and decisive factor is sovereign grace of God. Unconditional election of God. Not because we are better, not because we are cuter, not because we did something right, but because his goodness, his sovereignty chooses from the beginning of the universe, before the creation happened, sovereign grace and purpose he draws us. And Jesus himself, the Son, is saying, whoever God the Father gives me, I will never lose it. Another aspect of sovereignty of God is a perseverance of saints. Or should we say perseverance of God's love for us? Nothing and no one in the entire universe, including ourselves, cannot separate from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Eternal life is in Jesus. That's why Jeremiah 31, verse 3, this time NIV virgin, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. You know, sovereign grace of God looks like this. I stumble my way and saw my need. And I saw my Savior, Lord Jesus. And I decide to hang on to him as my Lord and Savior. 
and I became regenerated, born again. Then I turned around. It wasn't actually me. God chose me and brought me. My name is already in there, not because he foreknew only, because the foreknowledge of God is limited in a way that God is not an ultimate cause. God actually caused me, gave me even faith. You know what that does? There's nothing I could boast. There's nothing I could say because of this. God has chosen me. In Ephesians 1, the, the end of each phrase of the salvation and the, each spiritual blessing is to the praise of his glory. God receives the glory. And what about us? We say, okay, God created us in him, for him, for himself, for his glory. That actually, when we are most satisfied by God, God is most glorified in us. That's not my phrase. John Piper says, brilliantly. In other words, the most, the deepest joy we will ever experience is in God's glory. When we see God's glory, when we experience God's glory. So it's not two separate things. That we please him and glorify him so that God could give us our joy. Usually the materialistic things or success or earthly things. No, actually, when we seek his glory and we participate in the glory, we're most satisfied. How about this? John, 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. This eternal life in, is in Jesus Christ. Who's, who's, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is what it means to journeying to the way to the Father, in the way to the Father. So not because what I have is better than others, but because Jesus himself, as the Spirit of God residing in us, that because we have Jesus, we have also eternal life. Hang in there. One more. Verse 52 to 59. Actually, we could go all the way down, but Let's just sum it up here. First, number point three. Jesus connects us to the living Father. Father, if we receive Jesus' flesh and blood, which is actually the spiritual meaning, his atoning death for our sin, 
by faith as ours. One more time. Jesus connects to us, to the living Father. If we receive Jesus' atoning death and resurrection for our sins by faith as ours. Verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true, blood, true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my, my blood abides in me, and I in him. As a living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so who, whoever feeds on me, he also li- will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. There are a few things that we need to be Actually, pay attention, close attention. Verse 57 is actually key. As the living Father sent me, the source of the Father, a source of life, living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whosoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. So in, in some sense, I, I think when we think about salvation is not going to a place, heavenly cloud and perfect environment, they're actually going to the Father as for eternal life. The biblical concept of eternal life is not a package that we receive. Oh, I have eternal life. I put it on the side. The eternal life is actually life connection. So think about broken branch apart from the vine, and then branch is there. Okay, here's the life, eternal life. Have at it. The branch cannot survive. Branch has to be connected to the vine. Who is the source of life? Or well, another way of another way of looking at it is when you think about really nice new gadget that you bought. You know, uh, a few a few couple of months ago, I, when we lost the power for about two days in a row, the whole block, the kids were just going crazy, right? Oh, uh, it was hot, obviously, but more than the weather. Not having the power to get any of those iPad or anything work was crazy. 
So this was during our, uh, right before the, our facility expansion happened. So in the middle of night, around 8 o'clock, few kids insist that we come over and hang out at church. It's cool, and I like the coolness of it. The kids were just having ball. I think we stayed until here about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Why? Because there's a power here. Connections there. Our wall doesn't do anything. Outlets. Then you drains out. Eternal life that we, in which we have and we are living is like that. We are connected to Jesus who is life and who it came from the source of life. And because of that living connection is eternal life. We know what that means. We are to live eternal life right now. Experience already, but not yet. Not the fullest consummated way of experiencing eternal life. But we are to experience freedom and joy and peace. Which are all the fruit of when we are abiding in the vine. John 5, verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He gave the authority, not only the life itself, but to give life to to all those who believe in him. Luke 22, verse 19 to 20. I think we are, at least we are advantageous compared to those people in the first century, before the crucifixion, before the first Lord's Supper, but we are familiar with that. The image is actually about Jesus' flesh and Jesus' blood. was not like literal flesh and blood. He's not talking about cannibalism, although one of the persecution reasons caused for the first century was the that they were misunderstood as a cannibalist. And even Roman Catholicism took this little literally and said, said something in the sort of sense when we are giving blessing on the, the bread and the wine, transubstation happens. In other words, miraculously it turns into Jesus' actual blood and, and, and the flesh, because Jesus said, no one comes to really the, the Father and the life unless you eat my bl- flesh and drink my blood. No. Actually, the biblical meaning of that is, is a strong symbolism, not actually turning into Jesus' bl- blood and uh, flesh itself. But... It, to, it is to believe and appropriate Jesus' death, atoning death on the cross. That his flesh was torn, that his blood was shed for our, our sins. So Luke 22, verse 19 to 20, gives us that glimpse of uh, parallelism there. And he took bread, Jesus took bread, 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after he had, they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out to, for you is the new covenant in my blood. So one thing is very clear in all this, isn't it? What is the work of the Father? Work of God. For us to receive the living bread, eternal life. People think about legalistic to-do lists. Jesus said, to believe in his Son sent by the Father. So oftentimes, and I think I need to emphasize in our congregation more, in our community more as well. What am I supposed to do? Believe. When you do not have faith, you feel like you have a lack of faith. Be like the one who asked Jesus. All things are possible to those who believe. And he said, I believe. Help my unbelief. The correct term for that is actually lack of belief. Here's a willingness. But there are some hindrances for me to believe. And some of you have a hindrance on that. I want to trust God with all that I have unreservedly and surrender my all. But I have a hard time believing and trusting fully. We could cry out, have mercy on me. Help my lack of belief. So in that, in that uh, regard, there's a three. I'm going to quickly go over this three application. Number one, we are to focus on going to the Father as a true meaning of our salvation in Christ. Let's change the way to think about our salvation from going to a place to going to a person. So every day our life is living in relationship with the Father. The restoration of life and relationship with our Heavenly Father, our quiet time is not legalistic to-do list, but it's a time alone with God that He actually has a pleasure when we sit with Him. And just 15, 16 of us went out to Solitude Silence yesterday in Newport Beach Library and then many of us raised our hand. This was really needed time. God met with me. And it was a pleasurable to sense God's pleasure. That we don't have to have a significant insight to sound good. Number two, we are to receive and live Eternal life in Jesus by faith. Not as a package, but as an ongoing connection to the living Father. Let's change the way we think about the Christian life. Abiding in life. Abiding in Christ. Being connected to loving Father. How do we do that? And Jesus already gave us. If you abide in me and my words... In other words, through faith and obedience, you will experience my Father's love 
for me, and my joy will be in you, then your joy will be complete. One last thing. We are to savor Jesus above all else daily for true satisfaction in life. I was going to say, we are to seek to be satisfied in Jesus, the bread of life. Same thing, but I, I really like this expression. Savor Jesus above all else. And there's some things that already emerging out of depth of my soul that, Lord, help me experience that you are better, you are more joyful than some of the stuff that I enjoy. Whether it might be entertainment or food or, or some kind of Legitimate and illegitimate pleasures. And in a way, if we understand Jesus' life, the fight, the joy, fight the fight of joy in Jesus, it becomes a reality. It was so good for me to get a hold of... uh, John Piper is writing on this. I close with this. Piper writes, This is what we are made for. All other treasures, all other pleasures point to this. Jesus is the all-satisfying end of every longing. And the other thing this verse has shown me is the nature of saving faith. Notice the parallel between coming to Jesus to be satisfied and believing on Jesus. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. That is the first statement. We come to Jesus to have our hunger stilled, now parallel to that, and repeating the meaning is the next statement. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Coming to Jesus to be satisfied in him and believing on him so as not to thirst are the same. So I define saving faith as being satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus. This is a huge discovery when you make it. You never read your Bible the same way. You never think about the obedience that flows from faith the same way. You never fight for purity and holiness the same again. When you see that saving faith is being satisfied with all that God is for you in Jesus, the good fight of faith, as Paul calls in 1 Timothy 6, 12, becomes a fight for joy. And from then on, everything is different. The fight of faith is the fight for joy. And the fight for joy is doing whatever we must, you must, to see Jesus for who he is and savor Jesus above all things. Sisters and brothers, 
Thanksgiving is coming. And Christmas is coming. Before we numb ourselves with temporal things, some of them are very legitimate, good things. And looking forward to the feast always. Can we look to Jesus, who is not only life, but satisfaction, most treasured joy in our lives? Then in a way, the most powerful witness we could have is experience Jesus' joy, Jesus' peace, Jesus' love in our everyday life, i.e., we live eternal life for now. On this journey toward God the Father, when consummated salvation and eternal life awaits for us, but it starts now. To not to appropriate will be like sitting on a 10,000 diamonds in your, in your house under the ground. Knowing that. But you are just lazy to, to dig it out. But every day, you're living on a welfare, barely making it. And God's call again, come without money. Come by food and drink, and which will never run out. The eternal abundance in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the way to the Father and who gives us the life each day and who is the most treasured joy, even when we don't experience it that way. Oh, Father, we do need supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and quicken our deadness of our soul. That we want to be uh, authentic Christians, not to just uh, have this discrepancy between what we really believe and how we live our lives. So I pray for revival in this church that Jesus, you will be glorified because of our joy in you. Without any manipulation or any kind of the attempt to make things happen, we wait for your Spirit's wind to blow among us. Come, bread of life, feed us today. Satisfy our souls so we might be thirstier and hungrier for more. We pray all these things 
In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.